0: We're starting a brand new series today called Read Your Bible, and can you guess what the series is about? It's all about helping you to read your Bible. Imagine that. Um, and in years past, we've done lots of different things. We've, we've approached it differently. We've kind of given different strategies, made it really practical, because we believe that the Word of God is something that's meant for us to engage with as believers. It's not just something that's meant for the, the, the professional believers. It's not just for people who are trying to become academically more knowledgeable. It's for you. It's for me. It's for the purpose of building us up to make us more like Jesus. And so this go-around, we're taking a look at um, uh, uh, First and Second Peter. Um, and so, uh, uh, like I said, in the past, we've done different things where we've had, you know, like a specific strategy or a specific construct. And I had the idea this time which is kind of a little crazy and has made me very uncomfortable all morning long, of um, really the, the core of why we do this series year in, year uh, uh, over and over again, is because we believe that it, it's important for us, you, me, to be in the Bible. And I think a lot of times there are these mental constructs, these mental blocks that we build up that keep us from doing that. Okay? For some of us it might be, well, I don't know enough about, about the Bible to really read it on my own. Or maybe I connected with someone in between services who talked about her dad who, he grew up in the church, but it was always the professionals who did the Bible reading for us, and then they told me what was in the Bible. You you get that? Like, has anyone felt that way or known people like that before? Whatever it is, I want to help you to start to see that it doesn't require a degree, it doesn't require any kind of special interpretation or knowledge or anything like that. The Bible is meant for us to, to use as a tool to become more and more like Jesus. So I thought it'd be fun and slightly crazy. I don't have notes this morning. I don't have bottom lines for you. I don't have an outline I'm going to be following. What we're going to do together, if it's okay with you guys, if you say no, I'm still going to do it. Um, we're going to go through, we're, uh, To this morning I'm studying First Peter chapters one and chapters two. And I want to go through the whole section together with you guys as if I were doing it on my own at my, you know, dining room table tomorrow morning. Um, Because I think sometimes it's just helpful for us to see how other people might think through the Bible. Um, And I'm just going to really go stream of consciousness as I hit certain things, bring it up, kind of talk through it. Maybe I'm going to preach a little bit as I hit certain points here and there. But really, the point is, I want you to see that this is not something just for a select few who understand the Bible. I want you to to walk, my hope and my prayer for this morning is that you walk away seeing this is something that's attainable. The Bible is relatable, not just to these people long ago who it was written to, but for you today. And you don't have to have some kind of special skill or talent to be able to discern it for your own life because we have someone called the Holy Spirit who's there to help us understand and, and, and take things away. Whether it's even like you're reading for not like you're reading to, to increase your knowledge. Maybe you're reading to find that nugget. Yo, is anybody like a nugget person? Like to find, like, what's the one thing? They circle it and kind of do that thing. That's okay. The point is for us to spend time in our Bibles together. That sound good? Okay. This could be awesome. This could be terrible. Who knows? Let's jump in. Yeah? Okay. So, as you'll see on the screen behind me, I'll zoom in a little bit so we can kind of walk through it together. Where are we at? Oh, come on. There we go. Okay, cool. So, so again, we're starting in First Peter. And who? When, when I'm reading a book of the Bible, I start with who. You know, who wrote this? Like, who is this person? And Peter, or Simon Peter, is one of the disciples, right? He's one of the guys who was with Jesus, one of the 12. And he was kind of known as like, uh, uh, he was pushed forward a lot of times. It's not like necessarily like there was a leader of the 12, but he was a guy who often spoke for them, who was, he's, he had a very big personality, he had a very... Um, uh, He was very rash. Sometimes he was very emotional and and reacted very big like he cut a dude's ear off. That's bananas Um, but like this is a real person who had uh, What I take away from that is his personality is he's not gonna sugarcoat things for us He's gonna be very direct and he's writing this letter to other believers So this is a real guy who is writing a real letter to real people y'all with me? so these are people that he's writing to and he's writing to them for very specific reasons. And and as we read through, I want to start to pick out some of the themes and ideas that he might be trying to communicate to them. I think that's still applied to you and me today. So that's who we're talking about in this. And, and let's get started in, in chapter one over in verse one. So verse one says this: This is a letter from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the province of Pontus, Galatia. Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, I always say that wrong, I can't, I I listened to the pronunciation like 40 times, I'm still gonna get it wrong, but I think the more important thing in this, in this section that we just saw, is you're gonna hear this phrase, God's chosen people, a bunch, and this idea of foreigners, a bunch, okay, and with that, I think what he's trying to really nail down to these people is that this is not your forever home, you see that? He's trying to get these people to realize that, yes, you're in the here and now, And I don't know if you're like this. I know I'm like this. When you're in the middle of stuff, good and bad, it's hard to get your head around anything else other than than what I'm here in, right? This is my forever. This is my, what he's trying to do is he's trying to expand their perspective. Instead of it being the right now and here and and just these things, good or bad, he's trying to get them to think beyond. There's an eternal perspective here that we're just foreigners here, um, whether you are truly a foreigner, like an immigrant or someone like that, like many of these people were, But also, we're we're immigrants. We're foreigners in this land, in this world, because if we are God's chosen people, if we're His the kingdom of God, or if we are the people of God, then we're meant for the kingdom of God beyond this. So, verse two: God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and His Spirit made you holy. I want you to remember that word. That's a word we're going to come back to quite a bit today, um, because I think that's one of the big hammers that He's bringing um, in this chapter specifically. And as a result of God choosing us. You have obeyed him and been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And may God give you more and more grace and peace. All praise to God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again, because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, stop there for a second. What, a lot of times these letters, the first couple lines are very like, I don't want to say performative, but they're very like uh, uh, polished professional, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, they're very like, uh, uh, it's like a preamble to what he's about to say. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's, it's like the dear so and so, hope you're doing well. You might hope they're doing well, but you're not really sure. You know, this is like that version of that. But even in this piece, I mean, if you look at it, Peter's really laying out the gospel. That's what he's doing here. He's, he's saying, as a result of God being holy and him choosing you and him sending the Spirit to you, as a result of that, you have obeyed him and you've been cleansed of your sin. And he's laying out the gospel here. All praise to God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. It's by his great mercy, his great mercy that we've been born again. It's not about what we've done. It's not about how hard we tried. It's not about how good we were, how nice we were. It's because of his great mercy. He saw us exactly as we are, who we are, and because of that, he's given us salvation, the opportunity, the ability to be born again. And it's because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. He continues on, now we live with a great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance. Again, he's going back to this idea of it's not about the here and now. It's about what's ahead of us. It's about what God has prepared for us. He says, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond, a reach of, or beyond the reach of change and decay. So it's not about the things that are of this world that you may value, the money, the position, the power, those, those kinds of things. Peter's really pushing this perspective, this change of perspective of the here and now to the eternal. And that's going to be really important to where he's going later in this chapter when he talks about suffering. So keep that in mind. Verse 5, he says, "...and through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see." He continues in verse 6. "...so be truly glad there is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure trials for a little while." even though you must. doesn't seem like an option. I feel like this is part of just the life of being a Christian, and, and we see this time and time again. Paul talks a lot about this. Peter's talking about this here. Others talk about it throughout Scripture, that this expectation of suffering, it's not about maybe you're going to have some things happen to you. It's when this happens. It's not an if, it's a when. Do you see that? There's a difference. And he even uses interesting language here. He's talking about enduring many trials. It's not about you experience this thing, it's not just that this thing is happening to you. And I believe today we have a really big epidemic of this victim mentality. And I'll, I'm including myself in this where things happen to you, right? Why is this happening to me? And especially when you're in the thing that stinks, when you're in the thing that's really hard to deal with, it's very easy to slip into that mindset. You're focused here instead of the bigger picture of the, the inheritance beyond, the joy that's ahead. Do you see what he's saying here? He, we have a really hard time getting outside of that focus and getting to this focus because we're meant to endure the many trials for a little while. He goes on to say this in verse 7. He said, these trials will show that your faith is genuine, genuine. I don't know about you, I I thought about this last service when I was talking through this, this piece right here, is that if someone's trying to sell you something, like maybe a salesperson, I have nothing against salespeople, but when someone's trying to sell you something and they don't really believe in what they're trying to sell you, when they experience that hardship or that difficult question or that challenge, it can kind of fall apart and you see it really clearly. You with me? So I don't think this is about like measuring what your faith is like and what your faith is like and I'm judging your faith. This is meant to be an internal thing of The trials that we go through in life, part of what it's meant to do for us is to reveal the genuineness of our faith. What areas do we trust God with? What areas do we not trust God with? And these trials are meant to be a a purifier. We'll see this language in the next verse. He continues on and says, It's being tested, your faith is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold though your faith is more precious than mere gold. I don't know if you know much about how this whole idea of of purifying gold, but the idea is you take this metal alloy, you take this block of gold or whatever, this block of metal, and when you melt it at a certain point, the imperfections, the impurities will rise to the top when it's melted down, when it gets hot enough. When the fire has done its job to make it hot enough, the impurities rise to the top and then you skin those off and you're left with something that's more pure than what was there before. You see the picture he's painting here? The idea is that, just like for us, when we experience these trials, when we experience suffering, when we experience these, not if, when we experience these things, it's meant to make us more and more of what we are meant to be, getting away, pushing away all those things that are just kind of clinging on and and added to, if that makes sense. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love him even though you have never seen him. That's really interesting. And and again, these are translations, like this is the New Living Translation. I like to read this translation because for me, it's the closest to how I talk. You know what I mean? If I'm studying or doing some kind of like deeper language study where I'm trying to get to the root of what's being said, there might be other translations I use. I like to use the New Living Translation because when I read it, it sounds like how I talk and I think I'm gonna read it better. That's really what it comes down to. And that's okay, like that's a good thing. Find a version of the Bible that makes sense to you so you can continue to engage with it. Y'all with me? Okay, good. Um, So you love him even though you've never seen him. When he's speaking to these people, like these are people like in the time of Jesus, like he's sending this letter to people who literally could have been around Jesus, who could have seen the miracles. And Peter's a guy who saw it all. I mean, he was there for all the things that he saw, right? And so he's saying that even though you didn't see him, you still loved him because you've heard the gospel. He continues on, though you do not see him now, you trust him and you rejoice with a glorious and inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be salvation of your souls. And this salvation was something that even prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you. This idea of the prophets is really interesting because again, who he's talking to, right? These are believers. A lot of them were Jewish people. There were people who were formerly, they grew up Jewish, and <clears throat> I don't know how much you know about this, but um, people who are Jewish, it's not just a thing you believe. It can be, it's, you can be religiously Jewish, you can be ethnically Jewish, you can be culturally Jewish, you can be one or many of those different things, but a lot of these people were familiar with these texts. So when he says the prophets, when he's referring to them, and in a min- minute you're going to see he's referring back to the scriptures. Um, this is stuff they were very familiar with. It would be like me referencing a new musical artist, referencing back to Johnny Cash, or referencing back to someone who, like, you guys know. You're like, oh, I get what you're going with there. You may not know everything Johnny Cash has done, but you've got a picture in your head, or you, you have an image of, of what that means. Does that make sense? So there's this context he's providing to these people already without even having to know who they are or where they're coming from. So it continues on, verse 11. They wondered what time or situation the spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterward. They were told that their messages were not for themselves, but for you. That's really interesting because this is not just for these people who he's writing to, it's for us. Again, he's shifting their focus to be bigger than their perspective of where they are now. They're thinking everything that's happening around them, Jesus dying and being resurrected, is for the now. When they talk about Jesus coming back, the expectation in this time, like these folks, thought it was like days, weeks, years. Like this is like an imminent type thing. And so that was kind of the reality they were living in. And what what Peter's trying to do is he's trying to expand that perspective of what you're going through, of who Jesus is. The reality of his grace and his gift is not just for you. He's speaking to these prophets who wrote hundreds and hundreds of years before about Jesus. He's saying that they were writing not just for themselves, but for you. And he's talking to us now thousands of years later. It's not just for themselves, but for us. And now by this good news, the gospel has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Uh, it is so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. Verse 13. So prepare your mind for action and exercise self-control. Put that on your bathroom mirror or something. Man, that's some good stuff right there. i got to stop for a second. Um, when I see stuff like this, it reminds me that, yes, there is a completely, uh, uh, I don't say passive, but it's a receiving when it comes to the gospel. Does that make sense? We don't try for the gospel, and then it's given to us. We don't be good enough for the gospel, and then it's given to us. We don't uh, try to attain all these things, and then the gospel is given to us. We are in yet of our sin. in yet, or, 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 in, in, Even in spite of who we are, we are still provided freedom and life. That is the gospel. However, our response to that, our response to the receiving of that gift Is always active. Like there's these words, prepare, that's an action word. Exercise, that's an action word. Like prepare your mind for action. That could be reading your Bible, that could be praying, that could be discipling yourself. Like these are things that we're doing, right, in response to what has happened in our lives. You see that? It's not the other way around. We do these things so that we can get that salvation. That's not how it works. How it works is we receive that salvation, we receive that free gift of grace. And because of that, we are changed people, and so we prepare our minds for action. We exercise self-control. What an excellent word to use there. Because I don't know how you are, but like we, okay, so we have three kids under the age of eight, and we just got a puppy. Boom! What are we doing? So this idea of self-control is very difficult for me in general, and now it's like way harder because of the situation we're in. Again, my perspective is here. You see that? Because we got the puppy waking up. We got the baby waking up. We got to feed this one. We got to keep, I can only have one thing peeing inside my house at one time, right? So we've got all these things happening. The, the idea of myself being able to have self-control and not lose it, right? I, I empathize a lot with Peter because I have a temper at those times, right? That's just a part of my personality. To exercise self-control is a thing I have to think about. Anybody else with me? It's not a thing that you're saved you're good now, you're loving, you're kind, you're peaceful, like these are fruits of the spirit working within us, yes, but there's a part of us where we're involved with this, we're exercising that self-control, I think it's really important for us to see that, and I think it's helpful that Peter's pointed that out to us, he's not making us feel bad about that, because what if the expectation was you were saved, you received this gift, and now you're all perfect people, I don't see that in the Bible, do you see that in the Bible when you read it, that's not the expectation I see, in fact, I see it the other way. You'll see in just a minute, he's saying, I know you're gonna screw up. I know you're gonna go back to the things you used to do, but you didn't know any better. You didn't know anything, you didn't know any better then. So what you're gonna do now is make better decisions. You're gonna exercise self-control. You're gonna prepare your mind for action. Oh, and by the way, you have the Holy Spirit to help you do this. So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is received or revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back to the old ways of uh, of living to satisfy your own desires. Don't slip back to satisfy your own desires. Man, that is so helpful because if we don't recognize that, if we try to pretend that there is this false reality of you receive salvation. You have this moment where you're a different person. Like the, the Bible talks about there's a transformation. There's a moment. There's a death to life that happens. So that does happen. What doesn't happen is sanctification. Sanctification is a big word that means to be more and more like Jesus. That's a lifelong process. In fact, the people who I've met who get that the most are, are older in their years, and they're still like, yeah, i got a long way to go. Because they've shifted their perspective from this to this. They see it in the context of the kingdom of God. So Peter's reminding us, don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. These next two verses are super impactful to me. He says, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy as I am holy. This for me, I read that, I, I feel like the first time I really connected with this passage was when I was in college. And that's the time where you think about getting bad tattoos. You with me, right? And I really wanted to get a tattoo around this. I had some friends talk me out of it. I'm really glad they did because it was a really bad, ugly tattoo. But the idea, I really, really resonated with the idea of be holy because I am holy. However, at the time, I don't know how you are. At the time, I had this connotation with the word holy with perfect. Do you see that? I thought that's what it was trying to communicate. And there are parts of, like an attribute of God is that he is perfect, but he is also holy. The word holy means to be set apart. It means if I have a basket of apples and I want this apple to be holy, to be set apart, I take it and move it over here. It's different than these. It's set apart from these. I'm going to treat it differently than these because it's set apart. It doesn't mean to ascribe better thanness. That's a word I just made up. There's lots of dashes in there. It's not a better than but it's a holy. It's a set-apart-ness. So this Holy that we're called to be, as God is holy, is not an unattainable threshold of perfection. That's not the gospel. That's not what I read when I read the Bible. It's not do all these things and then you're holy. It's the act of being holy is setting yourself apart from the things you used to be. It's actively putting to death the things you don't want to be, the life you don't want to live. You want to be holy. Why? Because God is holy. And yes, he is perfect. But the standard here is not perfection. The standard here is to follow Christ and to be holy as he is holy. Holy is not perfection. Holy is to be set apart. Continues on in in verse 17. And remember that the heavenly father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward you accordingly to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of him during your time here as a temporary residence. Again, he's reminding you Get out of this. See the whole perspective. This is a moment. This is a fleeting breath. It's here and it's gone. The idea of when we when we accept the free gift of grace, it's life and life eternal. But this idea of reverent fear. I had a a, again in college. I had this time where I really went through. I was trying to figure out what does it look like to fear God. Like, how do you fear God in your daily life? I still don't really know. Like, I don't have a good handle on this. It's something that continues to puzzle me. So for you. Uh, what I want to encourage you to is, when you have these ideas that pop out at you, I'm just using this as, as an example. Don't think. And again, I didn't say this at the beginning. Don't take what I'm doing here as prescriptive. I'm not saying this is how you study the Bible. I'm saying this is how I study the Bible. So this is a little glimpse of my mind. So I'm sorry. But when you have these topics, when you have these ideas that continue to pop up to you, like this idea of reverent fear, fearing the Lord, would continue to pop, like get my attention as I'm reading. Like write those things down. Like I think sometimes you just got to chew on an idea. For it to continue to make sense to you anybody with me on that you've got to take the time to process what you're thinking about an idea and it doesn't have to be perfect let me say that again you don't have to have a fully formed idea for something to be a good takeaway for you like the takeaway could be like i need to think more about that idea does that make sense For you know, verse 18, for you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors, and it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. He's continuing to reiterate the gospel to these people. It's not. Do you see how he's not going? He's not browbeating these people into obedience. He's talked about obedience. He's talked about as a result of grace, as a result of the gospel, we are going to be holy because He is holy. We're going to leave those things behind. We're going to be different people. He continues to go back to the gospel. That's what we're supposed to do. So when in our daily lives. If you're, if you're in someone's life, right, and God's put someone with you uh, to walk through something with, maybe you don't need to give them the answer. Maybe you just need to be Jesus to them. Maybe you just need to remind them that they don't have to try harder to be more, to be something more perfect. They just have to be reminded of who Jesus is, the fact that he loves them and he died for them. That's what Peter's doing here. Verse 20 says, God chose you as your ransom, or God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But now in these last days, he has been revealed to you for your sake. It always blows my mind that like Jesus was not a plan B. Jesus was not a safety net or a safety function God had to create because he created Adam and Eve. He's like, whoops, they screwed it. Now what do I do? God chose Jesus as our ransom long before the world began. Before Adam and Eve, God knew what Jesus was to be. He was always the plan because he always knew who and how we were to be. Verse 21, through Christ, you have come to trust in God, and you have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. Again, it's a response to the grace that we've been given. It's in obedience to the truth that we've received. That's what he's talking about here. And he closes out this chapter by saying this. This is verse 23. Again, he's shifting that perspective from the tight perspective to the the far-out perspective of the kingdom of God. For you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from an eternal living word of God. As the scriptures say, people are like grass. Their beauty is like a flower in the field. The grass withers and the flower fades but the word of the lord remains forever and that word is the good news that was preached to you that's why he keeps bringing up that gospel that's why he keeps going back to that gospel story because people like grass and their beauty is like a flower that in the fields but that grass withers and that flower fades but the word of the lord remains forever that's why we preach the gospel that's why we speak the name of Jesus over every single situation, because it's not about how we're going to last here. It's that perspective. We have to get out of that, that uh, uh, mortal perspective of how the here and now. It's so tempting to stay here, but we've got to expand that perspective to God's perspective of the entire, uh, entirety of eternity. So what are the big takeaways for me? And this is something that I just do. I'll write in the margin. I've got a journaling Bible where I've got a little bit of room on either side, so I'd take a lot of notes in there uh, when I'm doing that. Um, the first thing for me is that, is that holiness piece, is that holy doesn't equal perfection. Holiness does not equal perfection. It's not, holiness is not about living up to an unattainable standard. Holiness is setting ourselves apart. Why? Because God is holy. Why? We set ourselves apart because that's what we do in response to the gospel. The second thing is we have to shift our perspective, we have to get outside of this little mortal coil where we're so focused on the things that are happening right now, we have to expand it to what God sees, what he calls us to, to participate in this great grand story. Because what happens is, we'll see in a moment, he's gonna shift the conversation to, well, what about when you suffer? What about when you go through things that are difficult or hard? If all you can do is see this much of the story, you're gonna drive yourself nuts. It's gonna get tighter and tighter and tighter. I don't know if you've ever experienced anxiety But that's what anxiety is. Anxiety is getting a tighter and tighter and tighter perspective where you see less and less around you. In fact, I heard this interesting quote. This just popped in my head. Um, The opposite of anxiety is not relaxing. The opposite of anxiety is being present. Meaning you have the presence of mind to take a look back at the whole picture instead of the thing you're obsessing about. And that's our call. It's to shift our perspective from the tiny piece that we see now, the little things, to the whole picture. Let's keep going. Let's go to chapter 2. So chapter 2, he kind of continues. He escalates his conversation to these folks. He doubles down on the the, the way we should be living, the way we're called to to live. And verse 1 says this, so get rid of all evil behavior, be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. Like newborn babies... You must crave pure spiritual milk. That's a great picture. So that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for nourishment now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. A couple years ago, we did a series talking about the stages of spiritual development. You guys remember that? We talked about stages of spiritual development, not because that's what the Bible says and it's all clearly defined. It's more just to give us handles around how we grow in our faith. For me, it's very, very comforting to see Peter refer to this idea of affirming that it's okay to be a novice. Y'all with me? I think a lot of times, especially in the church, we have this expectation that we're experts right away. We have this expectation that we're meant to know more or be more as soon as humanly possible. Does that make sense? In this, Peter's giving us permission to be a novice, to learn and to grow, and to crave that spiritual milk, to cry out for it, to ask for help, Around those who are around, or from those who are around you. So it's a normal thing to grow in your faith over time. Verse four, he continues on. It says, You are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you, you and I, are the living stones, or are living stones that God is building to a spiritual temple. I love that idea because what God's doing is He wants to include people. He doesn't have to include us. He chooses to. He chooses to include us in what He's trying to accomplish here on earth. And what's more, you are His holy priests. Some of you don't believe that. Some of you don't think that's true. Some of you think that's better left for those who are the professional Christians, the ones who work on churches or on staff at a church or who are off preaching somewhere. And that's just crap, man. Like, you are a holy priest of God. And what qualifies you is the Holy Spirit. What qualifies you is receiving salvation, the free gift of grace. You don't have to be polished. You don't have to be a good speaker. In fact, like, if you look, we talked a couple weeks back, uh, we did a series where we talked about the story of Moses and the story of Exodus. Moses was terrible at talking. And watch how God used him. He was terrible at communicating with people, relating with people even. And look at what God did with him. We're meant to be holy priests. We're meant to be active in that process. So the people God puts in your life, he's not necessarily putting them in your life to divert them to other people where you're like, oh, you need to talk to so-and-so. You need to talk to so-and-so. Maybe you just need to be with someone. You don't need to have the right word for them necessarily. Maybe you just need to be around them. Maybe you just need time with them. Maybe God's putting them in your life for that very reason. What's more, you are his holy priest. Through the meditation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. As the scriptures say, again, he's referring more to some Old Testament scripture again, I'm placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem given for great honor and anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Yes, you who trust him recognize the honor God has has given him, but for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is references in, in Isaiah, and in Psalm, there's one more over here in, Psalm, in Isaiah as well. And he, Jesus, is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. And they stumble because they do not obey God's word, and so they meet the faith that was planned for them. Essentially, they're, they're seeing the cornerstone as something other than what he's meant to be. He's meant to be the guiding rock. He's meant to be the foundation, and people instead are trying to kick it along and out of the way, and they're tripping and falling over it because they're, instead of choosing obedience. Instead of choosing to follow Him, they're, they're experiencing that in their life. Verse 9 says, but you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. This is an important idea in the New Testament. Of before Before Jesus came, it was very much a guarded group of people. Those were the important believers those were those were the priests those were the people who had access to God we go through them to get to God do you see that that's the old way of doing it and instead when Jesus came he said no 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 you have direct access to God through me and that's our reality we're meant to be a chosen people we're meant to be royal priests a holy nation God's very own possession and as a result you can show others the goodness of God for he called you out of darkness into wonderful light That is what qualifies you. What qualifies you is not that you're smart enough, that that you're good enough, that you went to school. It's for uh, you were called out of darkness. You've gone there before. That's what qualifies us to help others find the same love, the same light, the same forgiveness. And once you had an identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you receive God's mercy, giving context to who we are as the, the body of Christ. Verse 11 says, dear friends, I want to warn you as temporary residents and foreigners, again, get that perspective out, to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very own souls. Be careful uh, to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors that even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. There's a couple things here that I think are interesting. This idea of waging war. Like there are things in this, uh, and I hope you see this I hope we all are able to see this. Like, there's things in our lives that are not just trying to distract us away th- from things we know we should be doing or we ought to do or whatever. Like, There's things in your life that are waging war against the life that is meant for you. And you're not seeing that. You're allowing it to just completely bulldoze you in that area. And what God wants to do is provide freedom and life in those areas because of Jesus Christ. And what he's saying here is our call is to resist those things, to flee from those things, to push those things away so we might have honorable behavior, so that we might honor God. So even those who don't believe, who don't agree with us, might see how we choose to treat people, might see how we choose to interact in situations, might see how we choose to deal with others, and they give honor to God because of our actions. They see God through how we treat people. Verse 13 says this, for the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king or head of state, this is a really interesting idea, so you're telling me Bible, that I just need to listen to insert politician here that I don't like, and I should just be okay with that. This has more to do with reverence and honor for God than it has to do with an individual. And I think there's a lot of things in here. This is, there's an, another section coming in a moment where there's, there's question marks we draw. actually I'm going to skip down to save some time. He says in verse 16 in verse 16 he "For you are free." Yet you are God's slaves, so you don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. He's, he's giving this picture of slavery, of us uh, uh, um, uh, being s- slaves to God, but we don't use our freedom that we're provided to do whatever we want to do. It's not a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's meant for us to, to give action, to, to change, to be more of who we're called to be. And he continues on, respect everyone and the love of the family of, of believers. Fear God, again, that idea of fear God comes up again, and respect the king. That's a very different piece. Verse 18, you who are slaves must submit to your masters with all respect. Do what they tell you, not only if they are kind and reasonable, but even if they are cruel. This is the part that I was talking about. This section is something I would circle, and I'd put this. I don't know. I don't. Like, is this is this like endorsing slavery in the Bible? Or is he speaking to a specific context of people who... That was the reality, and he's trying to give some insight to them there. I don't know. I need to study this more, and this is okay. Like, this is a good thing to do when we're reading our Bibles. When we encounter something we don't know or don't understand or have a hard time with of like, man, God, I don't. this idea right here, I don't know if I, like, help me out here, God. Like, this is an okay thing to put here because this is not meant to be a one and done. This is not meant to be a thing we come to one time in our lifetime and kind of move on from it. It's meant to be something that's, that, that grows us, that helps us to shape our understanding and our belief. And if we're not struggling with it, if we're not wrestling with it, then I think we're doing ourselves a great disservice. So having these things that we need to come back to, to think more about, to talk to people about, is super important, I believe. Continues on, for God is pleased when conscious of his good will, or of this his will, you patiently endure unjust treatment. Let me say that again. For God is pleased when conscious of his will, oh, let me come back here, Oh, don't do that. When conscious of his will, all right, I'm done. I'm done doing this. Um, When conscious of his will, you patiently endure the treatment, uh, uh, unjust treatment. Of course, you get no credit for being patient if you are being beaten for doing wrong. But if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. He's speaking again to the idea of suffering. He's speaking again to the, you're in the moment where it's very difficult, where it's hard, It could be suffering at work with your family. It could be whatever. But you're enduring that suffering. And our call is not to necessarily fight that suffering. Our call is not necessarily to overcome that suffering. Our call is to endure it patiently. That sucks. (laughs) That is hard. Because I want to win. Do you want to win? I think we like to win. We like to overcome in situations. The reality is that Jesus has won. He's already overcome. He's already delivered victory for us. But sometimes... Part of what we do is we endure suffering so we might become more and more like Him. And as a result, God sees that and He's pleased with how we choose to respond to that suffering. Because ultimately that suffering is how we become more like Jesus. Verse 21 it starts to close out like this. For God called you to do good even if it means suffering. That's brutal, dude. That's brutal because, it's, again, it's not a... If it's a win, like this is a, he's calling you to do good, even if it means suffering, because for you it might you might be comfortable like going somewhere to serve people. It might be like you might be comfortable serving people locally by volunteering or by helping the homeless or whatever it might be. Like no, that's how I'm doing good. What if God's called you to do good just by enduring suffering for a moment, for a season? Maybe it's something with your family. Maybe it's something with your kids. Maybe it's something with your work, and the way that you honor God in that situation is you endure it patiently. The way you do good is sometimes endure that suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example and you must follow in his steps. I love this. Jesus never sinned. He never deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judged fairly. He personally carried our sins in in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin, and live for what is right. It's our privilege to walk in His steps. That as He endured, we will endure. And again, it's not because of how good we are, how hard or how, how, how good we are at enduring that suffering. The Holy Spirit's meant to be there with us as our comforter to help us do that. And by His wounds, we are healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now... You have turned uh, to your shepherd, the guardian of your soul. If I were to pull like one thing out of this that's really standing, standing out to me this time, especially in, in this round of going through it, it's that idea of suffering. And I need to think about that more. Like where in my life am I experiencing like real suffering and what is my response to it? Because I know what I like to do I like to shirk it. I like to pretend it's not there. The more I can pretend it's not there, maybe by getting my brain out somewhere else, by jumping on a social media app or something, or maybe by making myself busy with something else, the more comfortable I feel because I don't want to endure that. Maybe that suffering's meant to grow me, meant to purify, meant to refine me over time, and I'm robbing myself of the experience, the opportunity to become more and more like Jesus because I'm choosing to push that away. We're called to be holy because He is holy. We're called to be more and more like Jesus and we have the gift of the Holy Spirit to do so. And we're called to expand that perspective, right? That's what I'm seeing here. As I'm reading this, those are the big things I'm pulling away is, is I'm pulling away, I've got, to, I've got to open my perspective more and more. I need to get, if I get out of this tiny little moment and see the lens of God's kingdom, suffering makes more sense. I don't like it more. But it can make more sense. It can be something where I'm able to endure more patiently because I understand what it is. I understand how God is working in the midst of that. And that idea that holiness is not perfection for us. It's it's meant to be set apart. So how do you set yourself apart? How do you make those decisions? How do you make those choices? How do you make those it it talked about fleeing from the things that we used to do? Because now you know better. How do we become holy as God is holy? So I hope this is helpful for you guys, because the point is not to have a Bible, you know, degree to come back to and and be the person who, had, who knows all the things, who can understand all the things. Write question marks down, man. Talk to people. Like, it's okay to not know. I'm in the same boat as you are, and I think a lot of times we stop ourselves from experiencing what God has for us in His Word because we don't want to be new. We don't want to be the novice. We don't want to be those people, and I want to challenge you to take the step, engage His word and see what God does with that. Let's pray. God, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful that you, you provide for us even when we don't deserve it. You provide your free gift of grace and that your Holy Spirit is, is close by to, to walk with a step in step. God, would you give us a, a broader perspective of our lives, not just of this, this, this fleeting moment? But god of an eternal perspective god would you help us to understand the role of suffering in our lives so that we would identify it that we would be able to make the most out of it even though that sounds weird to say but that we would choose to patiently endure so we might become more and more like you and god would you help us to see what it is to be holy as you are holy to be set apart that others would see you through our actions, through our decision to be different, to be set apart. Not in a way that says, look at me, or to be lifted up above someone else. But God, to help others simply because we were rescued from darkness, and we know the way out. That is you. So God, we're grateful for you. Help us to be holy as you are holy. We pray this in your name. Amen.